Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. Well, good morning to you again. Uh, my name is John Warnock. For those of you that, that don't know me, I'm one of the pastors uh, here on staff. Uh, back in the summer when Keith asked me to be a part of this sermon series with him that we've called, Are You Who You Want to Be? It's really a, a study through the fruit of the Spirit. I, you know, I was really excited. Um, it had been a while since I had had a number of, of opportunities to, to, to preach and to prepare. And so I, I was really, really, really excited. And, and quite frankly, let me just tell you, it, it's been good for my soul, the, the, the study and the prep. And then being here on the Sundays when Keith has been preaching, they have been they have been great. Looking at the fruit of the Spirit, it has been good for my soul, and my hope and prayer is that it has been good for your soul as well. Um, but, but I have to confess to you that um, when he asked, I looked at my calendar, and you know, my first thought was, yes, I'm here. I'm not on a mission trip. I'm not, I'm not out of town on something else, so I, I can do this. And so then I took out the calendar, and I took out Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23, and I, I laid the fruit of the Spirit up on the weekends that, that, we were, that we had split already without looking at, I had already agreed to doing it, right? So I, I went through and I said, okay, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's, that's Keith doing that one. Then joy, I'm doing that one. Then peace, patience, you get the picture. We're going back and forth. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Oh, man, I don't want to talk about gentleness. I, I just didn't want to because in my head I've got this, this picture of, of, of gentleness that, that maybe you have a similar picture, all right? Let me show you the picture that first comes to my head when I think of gentleness. <laughs> I think of the little snuggle bear. Anybody else think of the snuggle bear when you think of... A, nobody's going to admit that, right? <laughs> but that's what you think of when you think of gentleness. If you don't think of that, then you think of this. You think of Bambi. Bambi frolicking through the woods, right, in the meadow. And it's all gentle and there's happy music playing and butterflies. And that's what you think of when we think of gentleness. And just, just to get to let's make it real. I mean, if you think of, all right, what's a gentle person look like? Well, maybe you think of this guy. Mr. Rogers. Now, he was kind of a gentle guy, right? But, but, but guys, men that watched Mr. Rogers, did any of you, when you were five, aspire to be Mr. Rogers? No. You were like, I'm going to be the dude from Thundercats, or I'm going to be G.I. Joe. I'm not going to be... That. He's nice, and he had cool toys, but I don't want to be that, right? And so, so I started thinking, all right, if, if that's what I think when I hear the word gentle, chances are there's other people who think that. So I said, all right, God, how am I going to do this? So I said, okay, I know. I'm going to go look at the Greek word. We'll get to that in just a second. And I'm going to figure out what are the other synonyms? What are the other English words that we could have put in the place of gentleness? And I came up with meekness. And I went, man, that just doesn't work. Because when we think of meekness, this is what we think about, right? We think about the little dude who's just weak. And, you know... He and his girlfriend are at the beach, and he gets sand kicked in his face by the, the big bully, right? That, that's what, we, I mean, in English, that's what we think of in, with gentleness and meekness. And I went, all right, God, I know, I know that that's not what you meant as you listed this out as a fruit of the Spirit, right? There's no way that's what he meant. He didn't mean for us to look like that dude. He didn't mean for us to not, I, I don't know, he just didn't, he couldn't have meant that. And so I was like, all right, how do I help myself get past this English word that I have a hang-up with and that some of you probably do as well. And so we're going to look this morning at two incredible biblical examples of, of real-life people 
that were meek. And we're going we're gonna to dissect their lives a little bit. And we're going to find out why did God call them meek? Why does the Bible call them meek? Then we're going to look at, at how this really should play out in our lives. And we'll finish by looking at how do we cultivate it in our lives. So let me pray for us, okay? Father God, thank you for allowing us to gather today to sing, to celebrate your resurrection in just a little while when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and to love you back because you first loved us. As we study your word today, God, help us to not be distracted. Lord, help me. There are all kinds of things that are going on in my life right now that are calling for my attention. So Lord, help us all to be present here with you. Help us to truly understand your message today and then to take that message and to put it into practice. Lord, I want to pray for those that are here that are just checking church out or maybe just checking you out. Lord, help them to see that you are good and you have a tremendous love for them. God, for those in this room that are already followers of you today, may what we study cause us to love you more and live in a way that brings you honor and glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so gentleness defined. The Greek word in, in Galatians 5.23 is a word called praeotis. All right? Doesn't do you any good. It's a Greek word. We don't use it here. But here's, here's kind of a three-part definition to what that word means. It means submission. It means meekness. And it means power under control. So I want to I help us to understand those a little bit because it'll, it'll help. I think you get a picture of what this gentleness is. So we'll start with power under control. Here's the best way I can help you understand that is to tell you a little story uh, about my family over the past couple of weeks. So three or four weeks ago, uh, my sons and I were walking home from the neighborhood pool and this gray cat follows us home. And so my boys are all excited because the cat doesn't have a collar and they're like, yes, we finally have gotten a cat. And I went, no, you're not really that excited about it. It's not going to be that good. But they were like, dad, please, can we, can we feed it? Can we take care of it? Because it was skinny and it was, you know, looked like it was going to fall over from lack of nutrition. And so I, I caved. And I was like, all right, you guys can feed it. But I have two rules about this little gray cat. Number one is it was never allowed into the house. If it goes in the house, it's gone. And if it hurts anybody, it's gone. So that lasted for about four or five days. It was all good. Saturday afternoon comes along. We had all been outside playing. It was good. I came inside because a, a game was getting ready to come on that I wanted to see. And uh, guys, you know how it is. You, you go inside. Everybody else is out there. and You've got the game on, and it's, it's maybe not as exciting as you thought it was. So you kick back in your chair, and you kind of start to doze off a little bit. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, you doze off. All right, so I'm sitting there. I'm dozing off, I'm watching, sort of watching the game, and I hear this blood-curdling scream. And so I wake up going, all right, something's about to happen. Next thing I know, the, our, our front door flies open and my youngest son Luke is standing there like this with blood streaming down his face. And I went, what in the world happened? And then I see Lindsay running from behind and I know that he's going to be taken care of and I'm going to pass out if I have to deal with the blood. So, so she takes care of him and I, I finally get out of them that the cat had attacked my son. And so... Do what any dad does. I go into dad attack mode. I take off my flip-flops and I'm finding the cat, man. I'm throwing stuff at the cat. I'm trying to chase it off. And I'm sure if neighbors were watching me, they were laughing. I actually wish I had it on video because I'd like to have laughed at it too. But I'm chasing around and then it hit me. I went, oh my goodness. 
I can't chase this cat off. I can't kill this cat. I've got to make sure it doesn't have rabies or some other kind of weird disease, right? So I, I go inside and I call animal control. And they say, yes, sir, we can come get the cat, but we can't come for an hour and a half. And I went, but what if the cat leaves? And they go, well, you've got to do what you can to keep the cat around. And so I go, all right, I can get a rope and I can string it up. And I was like, no, because they know it would kill itself. And so I can't do that. So I get, I get some milk. And I go out and I put it down. And so the cat comes and it, it drinks up milk. The whole time, I'm looking at it going, I could end your life right now. And then the thing starts rubbing against my legs. You know how cats do that? They kinda, and I was like, cat, if you only knew right now, I would rip your head off. You have attacked my son. But I couldn't do that. Because I had to keep it alive for animal control because they said, look, we've got to watch this thing for 10 days. I had to have power under control. I had the cat's life in my hands, at my feet. I really wouldn't have ripped its head off. It just would have disappeared. The boys never would have known what would have happened to it if it wasn't for needing to keep it alive. That's power under control. It's saying, all right, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to act this way. I'm not going to do that. The second part of that definition that we said was meekness. We'll talk a lot more about this, but, but this meekness, this is the same word, the, the praotis is the same word in a different form that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 5 where he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus is implying that meekness or gentleness, praotis, is something incredibly important because if you have that, that means that you've got basically salvation. You've understood that, which leads us to the third part of our definition. We're going to, again, we're going to come back to the meekness part. Submission. Now write this down, because this, I think, really encompasses the definition of what we're trying to get at. Submission. Fundamentally, gentleness is an attitude of the Spirit where we accept God's dealing with us as good, and we do not dispute or resist. Let me say that for you again. I want you to write this down. I should have put it on the slides for you, and I didn't. I apologize for that. Write this down. This is what this means today. Fundamentally, gentleness is an attitude of the Spirit where we accept God's dealings with us as good and we don't dispute or resist. Now this fruit of the Spirit, it certainly does involve an outward behavior between us and other people, and we'll get there in just a little bit. But most importantly, it is a word used to describe how you and I should relate to God the Father. We are to be gentle and meek in how we relate to God. That is what Jesus says. When he, when he says meekness is good, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. It means that the, the meek people, they're the ones that, that submit to God. They're the ones that have a relationship with God. They're the ones that ri- relate to God in the right way. That is the reason why that they will have salvation. It's, it's his followers. It's his children. So how do we know then what this looks like? Well, that's, that's a good question. And so we're going to go to the Bible for, for two examples of people that were called meek. And the first example is a guy named Moses. Now, some of you, you know the story of Moses. And if you know the story of Moses, you, like me, maybe at first are thinking, well, I don't know about that. But for those of you guys who don't know Moses, I'm going to tell you the story of Moses. But before I do that, I want to read to you number, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. The Bible is describing Moses. It says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the men that were on the face of the earth. The Bible's calling him meek. At that 
point in time, he was the most meek person that was alive on the planet. Now let me tell you a little bit about him, and I want you to think through as I'm describing Moses' life, does it line up with the snuggle bear? Does it line up with that picture of, of meekness and gentleness that, we, that I think of, and maybe some of you do as well? All right, so Moses was raised in the Egyptian royal family, even though he wasn't an Egyptian. And I don't have time this morning to tell you that part of the story. Read, read it for yourself. Write down Exodus and, and start reading through there and learn about Moses' life. Fascinating story of how God protected him. And it's good, but, but read it later. But, but being raised in the royal family means that he was well-educated. It means he was well-trained. It means he was well-respected. It means that he was a leader. Now, he, he discovers, he finds out that he's not really Egyptian, and he's actually a Hebrew. And one day, the Bible says he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, and, and Moses kills the Egyptian. Doesn't sound like the snuggle bear to me. Does it to you? He flees because he realizes that people have found out what he did. And he lives for 40 years in a place called Midian. He, he's living in this place in voluntary exile to stay away from what's going on. And I don't know exactly what Midian was like, but I can promise you it was harsher conditions than where he had come from in Egypt as part of the royal family. And then God uses Moses at the age of 80 to go back into Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. God uses Moses to perform miracles and signs and God does wonders before Pharaoh, and he goes back to him a number of times, and, and, and they, they basically argue, and, and, and ultimately, God uses Moses to have his people go. Then, he led, leads his people for 40 years out in the desert as they're wandering around. Someone who can do that is not the 98-pound weakling that we saw on the screen, are they? No. They're not that at all. So why does then, in Numbers... Why does it describe Moses as the meekest person on the face of the earth? Well, here's why. I think the answer is found in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. And I'm going to paraphrase for you the interaction that, that, that Moses has with God. Moses is out one day. He comes across a, a bush that's on fire, yet it's not burning up. And so Moses goes and he approaches this bush. And the Spirit of God is there and speaks to him. And God says to Moses, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh. Tell him to let my people go. And Moses says, I don't want to go. He's not going to listen to me. And God says, go and assemble the elders and tell them that I sent you. And Moses says, I don't want to go. They're not going to believe me. God says, go and command my people to come out of Egypt. And Moses says, I don't want to go. I'm not a persuasive speaker. I'm not good enough to go do this. God says to him, go, I will help you and teach you and tell you what to say. And Moses says, I don't want to go. Please, God, will you send someone else? And God says to him, go anyway. Go because I've told you to go. Go because I want you to go. Get up and go now. And Moses says, I don't want to go, but I will because you have commanded me, God. It's not what I want that's important. It's not what I want that matters most, God. It's what, what you want that matters most. And so I will go. So did you catch that? Did you catch what made Moses meek? 
It was his willingness to lay down his desire and his will and what he wanted to do. As a matter of fact, it was his willingness to submit to God, even though God was asking him to do something incredibly uncomfortable. And even though Moses argued with God just a little bit, he ultimately said, God, I'm going to do what you want. He in his head, if he would have spoken English, would have said, it's, it's about fundamentally gentleness, meekness, is an attitude of the Spirit where I accept God's dealings with me as good. That is why Moses was called meek, because he submitted his life to God. But there's another incredible example of gentleness and meekness found in the New Testament. Before I tell you his name, let me describe him for you. I bet, I bet you'll guess who it is. This man was forceful and opinionated. He demanded obedience from his followers. He confronted those that disagreed with him. He took on the religious and political powers of his day. He single-handedly threw people out of the temple when he found that, that, that people there were cheating those that had come to worship God. You probably guessed it already. We're talking about Moses, or Jesus, right? But, but like Moses, does that sound like the 98-pound weakling to you? No. Let me share with you an interchange between God the Son and God the Father. Again, I'm going to paraphrase it for you. God is speaking to his son in the Garden of Gethsemane. And God says to his son, Go, it is time for you to die on the cross. And Jesus says, I don't want to go. There's more to do, and quite frankly, this is going to be painful physically, and it is going to hurt because of what I know is happening. And God says, go, it is for this reason that I have sent you. And Jesus says, Father, is there another way? I don't want to go through this. And God says, go, the soldiers are here to take you. Go because I have told you to go. Go because I want you to go. Go because life and death hangs in the balance for humanity if you don't go. And Jesus responds, I don't really want to go through this, but I will go, God, because you have commanded me. It's not what I want that's important. But God the Father, it's what you want that's important. It's what you want that matters most to me. Jesus is called meek, not because he was a weakling, not because he let people walk over him. He was called meek because he submitted to the will of the Father and said, not my will, God, but yours. Jesus also models for us meekness and gentleness when he showed incredible power under control. You know, as he hung on the cross with his back raw from being beaten, scraping up and down on the wood as he struggled to get breath, as he had his, his, his hands and feet pierced with the searing pain of what that had to have been like, with the crown of thorns jammed on his head and blood flowing, as Jesus is hanging up there, Jesus, the, the Bible says that Jesus could have stopped all of it. He could have called 12 legions of angels to come and taken him down and ended it all right there. 12 legions of angels, by the way, is about 72,000 angels. They could have handled the situation. But Jesus, in submitting to the will of the Father, knowing that this was the plan to redeem humanity, he stayed there 
and he died on the cross. And he rose again. He accepted the will of the Father as good. And the result of it all was good. Jesus is raised from death. Making it possible for you and I to be brought into a right relationship with God the Father. And have life to the fullest here on earth. And so we've looked at the most important aspect of this fruit of the Spirit. Of, of this submission to God. Of having the right relationship with Him. But I need you to ask yourself. And do maybe a little homework today and say, how am I doing in this area of my life? How am I doing in submitting to the will of the Father on a daily basis? I can't answer that for you. You have to spend some time alone with God. Be honest with yourself and, let, and listen to God and let Him be honest with you. This fruit of the Spirit also deals with our interaction with other people, our gentleness and meekness with other people. What, what does that look like? Does that mean that we're to allow people to walk over us? No. Gentleness plays out in our lives with other people based on the heart of God, based on us, number one, aligning ourselves, ourselves to God's will. What is God's heart for people? God's heart for people is that we would be redeemed, that people would come to know him and have salvation, Right? Yes, that's God's heart. So if we then submit to God's will, then you and I then will have his heart for other people. Well, what does that look like then? Well, I want to give you three examples from Jesus' life as he serves as the model of how we are to live. And the first example is this. It's Jesus and the woman at the well. This interaction is found in John chapter 4. Write that down. You can read about it later on. I'm going to, I'm going to recap the story for you. Jesus was, was traveling. He had to get from point A to point B. To get there, he had to go through Samaritan land. That wasn't cool in that day. Jews and Samaritans hated one another. And back then, typically, what Jewish people would do is they would walk around the land miles if they had to so that they could avoid their, their enemies, the Samaritans. They didn't like them. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to go right through it all. The other thing that kind of was a weird cultural norm back then is men and women didn't speak to one another in public. Yet Jesus approaches this woman. He's modeling for us that we are to break through the stereotypes of the day and that we are to interact with people, even people that might make us a little uncomfortable. And Jesus interacts with her and confronts the woman's sin. You can read about it in John chapter 4. But, but check this out. Ultimately, Jesus gets to the spot where he offers her living Water. Now, what is he doing with living water? Is it like H2O that they drink and it's magic? No. He is saying to her, because they get in this theological discussion about who God is, who the Messiah is. And he says to this woman, hey, listen, I can offer you something. I can offer you the relationship with God so that you no longer have to search for who the Messiah is. I can quench that thirst in your life because Jesus is the Messiah. He was offering that woman Salvation. But there's another example in Jesus' life that, that, that helps us to understand how this gentleness and meekness works out in people's lives or should work out in our lives. And it's the story of the woman caught in adultery found in John chapter 8. It's an interesting, fascinating story to me. This woman is caught in adultery and she is brought out to see Jesus. I'm always fascinated that they didn't bring the guy out too. But they don't. They bring the woman out. And the leaders and the Pharisees, they, they bring her to Jesus and say, Hey, the law of Moses says this woman was caught in adultery and that we should stone her. What is it that you say? And Jesus 
says, hey, listen, you who is without sin, let you be the one that casts the first stone. Now here's where I'm going to depart from the biblical text for a second because I think this is cool in my head. Jesus, actually, Jesus does start drawing in the ground. I don't know exactly what he's doing. I like to think that he's drawing people's names down. He writes, John, your sin is this. And there's a John in the audience, and he goes, oops, I better walk away because clearly I sinned. And people started seeing that, and they go, hey, I'm going to leave, right? I don't know that that's what he was doing, but he's definitely drawing in the, in the sand. And the scripture is very clear that one by one, the accusers that brought this woman to Jesus depart. Ultimately, it's just Jesus and this woman that is left. And he stands and he says, where are your accusers? Is is no one left to condemn you? And she says, no, there's not. And he says, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus is offering restoration to this woman. He is offering her salvation. But there's another story of Jesus' life. Actually, lots of them. But the other one we're going to look at today is found in Luke chapter 19. And it's Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus. Our friend Zach, he was a tax collector, which meant that he was, a, he was not well respected among the Jewish community. He had kind of sold out to the Roman government. The Roman government said, hey, look, the taxes due is $18 a month, and you can go and collect whatever over that you want to. And so that's what they did. And they weren't liked. But Jesus finds Zacchaeus and says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come eat dinner at your place. Again, Jesus is breaking through those norms and saying to us, modeling for us, that we are to reach out to the unlovely. Jesus goes and has has dinner and they interact with one another and ultimately Zacchaeus repents of his sin. And he offers, he even goes so far as to offer to say, I'm going to give four times the amount back that I have stolen. And here, listen to what Jesus' words are. He says, today salvation has come to this house for the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Now, do you see the connection in these stories? Jesus, in each one of these stories, as he interacts with people, he is offering forgiveness and restoration. He wasn't weak with them. He didn't say, hey, listen, it's okay that you go ahead and sin. Go ahead and go go do what you want to do and have salvation. He says, no, no, no. He's very bold. He's very blunt with them. He says, go and sin no more, but I'm offering you salvation. I'm offering you forgiveness. He doesn't shy away from confronting what was going on, but he is offering restoration. So how does this play out in our lives then today? Well, Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Church, family, we have got to be gentle and meek with people. People's lives are fragile, quite frankly. And, and, and our words as Christ followers can do one of two things as we interact with people. We can either break people down and drive them further from God. Or we can be used by God and His Holy Spirit to bring people back to restoration. We can, followers of Christ... We can live this gentle, this meek life by submitting our lives and will to God on a daily basis. And we can help people be restored. But you're sitting there saying to yourself, because I was, as I was kind of putting this together, how do we do this? Okay, I want to be like Moses. I I want to be submitting to God, my life and my will. I want to be like Jesus and submitting to God the Father. And I want to be like Jesus and help restore people, but how do I do this? Well, let me remind you that over the past few weeks as we've studied the fruit of the Spirit, 
Pastor Keith and I, we've, we've given some practical steps along the way of how you align yourself with the Holy Spirit so that it can more readily work in your, in your life. But, I, but, you know, as I thought about it, at least in some of the ways that I've communicated it, I, I want to make sure that I'm abundantly clear today and say, while we, there's some practical things you can do that will let the Holy Spirit work in you, I, I don't want you to misunderstand us and think that there's things that you can do to just try harder. It's not about us just trying harder. It really is. It honestly is about us submitting our lives to God and allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you and I, and He is the one that develops this fruit in us. Does that make sense? And so, I want to give you a prayer that I found. That I, It's going to come up on the screen, and it's long. I should have put it in the notes for you. I didn't. I apologize to you. It's going to be there. If you've got a phone, take a picture of it, because I think it's a great thing. If you don't, it's going to stay up there for a while so that you can take like outline it, get the key words down. It's not a magic prayer. It's not a magic prayer, but I think it, it, it describes this, this aligning ourselves with the heart of God so that he can transform us. Here's what it says. It says, Father, I confess to you that I am not gentle and that I struggle with submitting my will to yours. I, I am grateful for those parts of my life where you've helped me to submit to your control. But God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the areas of my life that I've, been keeping for myself. So Lord, today, I I know I'm going to be tempted to slip and live as I please. Grant me strength to resist that temptation. Help me to live this day in obedience. Show me how you want me to think and feel and behave. God, show me the people that you have put in my path who I am to help love and restore. Help me to live free of myself and in submission to your will. Listen, start your day Daily, with this prayer, or something like it. Again, it's not the magic words on there, right? Start with that. And the Holy Spirit, I think, will lead you and guide you. And then throughout your day, pray the second prayer, but pray it all the time. And it's very simple. God, not my will, but yours. Very, very simple. Throughout the day, God, not my will, but yours. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. We're going to move into a time of prayer And as we're doing that, before we pray, and your your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want you to imagine with me for a moment. Imagine with me for a moment if every Christ follower that's in this room, if every Christ follower that was in this room said, okay, I'm going to submit to God. I'm going to learn to become gentle and meek. I'm going to submit to God on a daily basis. And I am going to be gentle and meek and help be about restoration of other people. Imagine with me for a moment if you joined with me in this pursuit and we were to say, okay, I'm going to be looking for the people in my life that I am to be used by God to restore. Think about it. Imagine every Christ follower in this room. If over the next month we said, okay, God, I'm going to look for just one person that you're going to help me restore or that you're going to use me to restore. Imagine the number of lives. I don't know, there's 400 and some odd people here in this room. Assuming we were all followers of Christ and assuming we all did this, over the next month, it could be that there are 400 people that have come to know Christ. Think about that for a second. Imagine what life would be like different or how it would be different. Imagine what, what your family relationships, how they might be different if that person was in your family. Imagine the relationship that you have with peers at work or the the guys that you coached Little League with. 
and seeing their lives transformed and those people begin to come to Dogwood or to another church, that's fine. And the life transformation that can happen, can you see that? Listen, I'm asking you to join, join me on this journey of submitting to God on a daily basis, His will and having that not my will but your will God attitude. And also about being about living a life of restoring people. Join me on this journey. Listen, in a crowd this size, I know that there are some that, that maybe you need, to, you need to submit to God for the first time today. You need to become a follower of God, a follower of Jesus for the first time. And if that's you, then you can pray something like this. Lord Jesus, to the best that I understand it, I ask you to come into my life to be my leader. In other words, God, I'm giving you complete and total control and to be my forgiver. God, forgive me of my sin. God, I submit to you. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer, one of the reasons this church exists is to help you on that journey of following God. Would you let us know about that commitment? You can do that. You can let us know by simply taking that communication card we talked about at the beginning of the service. And on the back of that card is a box that you can check that says, I'm following Jesus today. Then you can turn that card in at the end of the service when the offering baskets are passed. And we will do our best to get in contact with you and we will help you on that journey. Father God, thank you so much for loving us. Help us, Father, as individuals, as families, and as a church family to live lives of submission to you and lives of gentle restoration of other people. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.